0: What makes you happy? Part three. That's where we be today. That's where we're going to go. So you can follow along in your notes there on the screen, wherever. Um, We're going to jump back just to do a quick review to our question from week one. And then remind you that last time we added a question as well. So we're going to do some review. Just there it is up in front. Week one question was, what makes you happy? no thing. Yeah, there you go. No thing. No thing can make you happy because happy is more about a who than a what. Um, If you're happy, it has uh, more to do with a who or two. If you're happy, there is something good going on relationally. If you are very unhappy, chances are it's a who thing because happiness has more to do with relationships than it does with things. And then week two so not last week, but the week before. Um, same question, different answer. Do you remember that one? What makes you happy? Sewing, Not no thing. But sewing. So, so if you missed last week or that doesn't sound like uh, this makes any sense, then I'll go back and listen to the podcast and you can catch up there on week two. Um, and if you did, if you, if you have heard it, if you've already listened, hopefully it makes a little bit more sense to you. Because week two, we looked at what Jesus said about happiness and how to live in a way that we can bring about happiness in our lives. And he revealed it, it, these things that are layered and, and rich and, and, and intricate in how we live that would release happiness. And so even if you don't believe in Jesus or you don't want to be all churchy, you should listen to the wisdom that was released there, that Jesus taught us. He, he taught us something important. Whether or not you believe Jesus is important, what he said is wise. So we're going to um, have the opportunity to, uh, to learn it eventually um, and, and then say, oh, I'm so glad that I've learned it. Or we're going to be caught and say, I'm never going to catch up with that. And, and then when it does come to you, you're going to go, I, I, just, I wish I had seen that Um, earlier, this thing that Jesus had revealed that happiness is an outcome. Um, You sow and you reap your way into happiness, just as many of us have sown and reaped our way into unhappiness. What we learn is that happiness is not immediately accessible. You cannot simply leave here today and be happy. And there's no sermon and there's no book, there's no drug, there's no thing you can buy, there's no cream that you can spread on, there's there's no uh, conference that you can attend, there's no YouTube DIY video, there's no TED Talk that will plop you suddenly into happiness. Happiness is an outcome of sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping, which means no matter how unhappy you are today, there is hope for you. And for those of you who are happy, you have to keep sowing in the right direction because if you start sowing in the wrong direction, you're going to wake up one day and wonder, hey, what happened? What, what, what's gone wrong? How come this is different? And you're going to begin to look around in your immediate vicinity and you're going to think to myself, you know what I need to do? I need to be happy with a new thing. And i, I I need a thing and I need need a new drug. I need a new car. I need a new person. I need a new something so that I can be happy again. And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. You should be smarter than that. You should see more than that. It's sowing and reaping that that takes you towards happiness. It's sowing and reaping. It's not immediately accessible, but it is ultimately accessible because it's all about what you do, how you behave. There's cause and there's effect. It's where you put your mental and spiritual focus. Where does that reside? We say, eyes up. Put your eyes back on Jesus. And within the verses that we looked at last time, Jesus gives us direction about how to reap and how to sow. How to reap and sow, sow and reap towards happiness. So, quick rewind back to week one. Today, I want to go back to the one thing that every happy person has. If you are happy, you have it. If you know someone who is happy, they have it. If you are not happy, you don't have it. Every happy person you meet has peace, they are at peace. And they could be rich, they could be poor, they could be extroverted, they might be introverted, young, old, it doesn't matter. Sometimes you can look at people and, and you, wouldn't, you wouldn't say this, you shouldn't say this stuff out loud, okay? But you're thinking it because if you're like me, you think it. And you'd say stuff like, if, if I lived there or I had to live with that, if I was related to that, uh, if I had to live with her, if, if I had to wear that, if, if I had to do that job, if, if I had that boss, I would not be happy. But, but she's happy. But, but he's happy anyway. And you have discovered a person who has found peace. And if you have peace, you are happy. If you don't have peace, it doesn't matter what else you have. You just aren't happy. Today is peace day. We're going to talk about peace, all about peace and happy people are at peace with, you remember, three different levels. We talked about this week one two. Happy people are at peace at three different levels. We introduced these back then. Happy people are at peace with themselves. They're just just fine with themselves. And you meet people all the time, and they don't look as good as you. And they're not as fit as you. And they, they don't drive as good as you. And they're not as healthy as you. And their family's not as good as yours. And they're just happy. They're they're happy with themselves and around themselves. They're just happy. And you work so hard. And you you strive. And you commit to going to the gym. And you spend so much time in front of the mirror getting that just the right shine. And these people are just happy. And you look at them and you go, argh. We all know people that are like that, and that's why I say we, we keep this mostly on the inside. We should keep this mostly on the inside. But when you come across those people, what are, your, what are your, the raw feelings that come out? You go, oh, I just hate her. How come it's so easy for her? It's not fair. Perfect family, perfect kids, perfect hair, perfect shoes. perfect. And we get mad. We get frustrated with that. And so we, meeting people who are happier than us well, it can be frustrating. And then when you meet them, you say, well, now now I'm even more unhappy than I was before. The next thing you discover is that there are people who are at peace. Happy people are at peace with others. Happy people are happy, right? They're not angry. Happy people aren't bitter. Happy people aren't seeking revenge. Happy people don't see themselves as victims And it's not because life has gone great for them. In some cases, it has. But in many cases, you have met people who have gone through way beyond normal levels of bad stuff, difficult circumstances, mistreatment, fired from jobs, husband or wife just walked out on them and left them. And yet, you know that some of these people are happy. They're happy with themselves. And they're happy with others. Even sometimes including the people who have mistreated them. And happy people are are okay. happy, Happy people are fine. Thanks. Happy people are free. Happy people are at peace with the world around them. And then you discover, in some cases, not in every case, but in some cases you'll find, in many cases you'll discover that happy people are at peace with God. Today we're going to spend most of our time looking at peace with God. One of the things that Christians believe, one of the things that the New Testament teaches us is that um, peace with God paves the way to peace with ourselves and equips us to make peace with others. Peace with God paves the way to peace with ourselves. If you are not at peace with yourself, chances are it is because of something in your past that you just keep dragging around and you you can't get away from it you can't get free from it And, and you turn around and there it is it's just there and it's everywhere you go that thing that feeling that way it's just there because you have not found peace with your past and you don't have peace with you but when you make peace with God God paves the way and God creates the way for you to find peace with yourself. When you come to realize that the God who created you has forgiven you, you realize that you lose the right to not forgive yourself. When you come to grips with the fact that the God who made you, who created you, no longer holds your past against you, You can find the freedom to quit holding your past against you. And you find peace with yourself. The big idea of the New Testament is that peace with God equips us to make peace with other people. Because the driving behavioral ethic is just golden, right? Golden, do unto others as your heavenly Father through Christ has done unto you. And as Christians, we are required to forgive because we have been forgiven. And those of us who will make peace with God through Christ, we understand that it's now our obligation to figure out somehow how to treat people the way our heavenly Father treats us. And peace with God equips us To make peace with other people, peace with God, frankly, is an enormous idea, and it impacts so much of your life that you—I'm sure—you haven't spent the time to think about it. The way that you view yourself, and it it leads to the way that you treat other people. So, when you say peace with God, the assumption is that there must be some sort of conflict with God. If you're going to make peace with somebody, obviously, there is something to make peace about. So whether you recognize it or not, Jesus taught, whether you like Jesus or not, this is still true, Jesus taught and the New Testament teaches that there is a conflict, and it happens on two levels. There is, first of all, sin, and then there is your sin, right? There is sin, and then there is your sin. And whether you sense your conflict with God right now or not, the reason that we have conflict with God at the macro level is because of sin. And then there's the specific issue of your sin. And the best way to understand the big general idea of sin is it's not your behavior, but, but, but sin in general, is to think about the nation in which you were born. This will be different for some of us, but I was born in Canada. I am a Canadian citizen, and frankly, it's not fair. I didn't get to choose the nation in which I was born. It's not fair, but it's true. Something can be absolutely unfair and true at the same time. Many, many things are not not fair, but they're true at the same time. So I was born a Canadian citizen, I had no choice in the matter. It's really not fair. It comes, though, with all the benefits of being a Canadian citizen, but it also comes with all the consequences of being a Canadian citizen. Again, it's not fair, because I didn't get to choose it, but it's absolutely true. I'm a citizen of Canada, and one of the consequences is that I can speak English, at least in my opinion, fluently, (laughs) and franglais, marginally. Franglais? All right, tough crowd. Uh, Now, the New Testament teaches, and uh, your experience is going to bear witness to this as well, that you were born in the nation of sin. You are by birth a sinner. And if you have any doubt about that, just ask to the people who are around you, the people that are close to you, the people that know you best, and they are going to come to you and say, oh man, I don't even need to see your passport. I know you are definitely from the kingdom of sin. That language that you speak, it's your first language and it comes natural to you. It is sin language. You've got it down. So at this macro level up here, it goes beyond our personal behavior, right? The New Testament teaches that we are by nature sinners, There was a really brilliant, well-known first century theologian um, by the name of Paul, and he kind of unleashes this on us. He likes to explain things, and so in Romans chapter 5, he starts, in the letter that he's writing there, he says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, sin is here. How did it get here? The first man, one man. One man introduced sin into the world. It was not something that God created. God created humanity, and humanity introduced sin into the world. And death through sin. So wherever there is sin, there is death. Some of you have killed a relationship. Some of you have killed a career. Some of you are killing your relationship with your parents. Some of you are killing your relationship with your kids. Some of you are killing your relationship with your parents, with the the people that you work with. Wherever there is sin, there is death. And the New Testament explains something that that we come across every single day. Sin came into the world. Death was right on the heels of sin. So wherever sin shows up in in your life, something dies. For some of you, that's why you can't get along with yourself. You look fine from the outside, but inside there's torment because your sin is killing, and it has killed your relationship with you. Your sin has killed your self-esteem. Your sin has killed your ability to make wise decisions. And in this way, death came to all people. So the the New Testament uh, teaches that when we think... um, about not being at peace with God. The first problem is that we were born in the wrong country. Unfair, but true. And you've probably seen this image before. It comes up a lot in Christian kind of circles. There are two pieces of land, one on the left and one on the right, divided by a chasm or a canyon. There's a big space in the middle. And we are on the left. I'm going to use your left. And God is on the right, on the other side of the great abyss. That's right here. And there's this gap, gap right here. And we are separated. And there are, are there sometimes feelings of hostility that go between the two sides. And there's a problem because God is all righteousness. And we are all unrighteousness. We are born in this country separated from God. And by acting on this side over here as if you were over there doesn't move you from here to there. Behavior doesn't change your actual location. So if I behave right now in the ways as people who live in Thailand behave, I did not simply relocate to Thailand. The reason that we gather as a church is because Jesus came to bridge this gap right here. This is the gospel. This is the good news right there. It's all about how God, through Christ, made a walkway. For us to leave this kingdom on the left and join our Heavenly Father in this kingdom, the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, we are given a right standing. Have you ever heard the phrase, born again? Yes. Yeah, Yes, all right. Well, Jesus was using that as a way to talk to the people in his culture. He was trying to get this concept across, and so he's meeting with this guy, and he says, hey, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is, like us, bewildered. Uh, How can a man climb back into his mother's womb? And Jesus goes, okay, mm, not exactly like that, okay? But in order to be in the kingdom of God, you must be a national." You must be born into a new kingdom. You must get a new passport. You you get a new birth certificate. You are made a new person. So Christ made it possible for us to have a rebirth experience, to be born into the kingdom of God. And Paul, the guy who's writing this, he gets all technical because he really wants people to understand. He wants them to get it. He wants them to get so many things. And here's how he said it. We jump down to verse 13. For he, that's God, has rescued us from the dominion, from the nation, from the environment, from the kingdom of darkness. And he's brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And Paul says um, this image of God on one side and in one nation and you on the other side in another nation, that's exactly right. Through Christ. God wants to rescue you from this nation of darkness and sin, and he wants to place you in this nation, the kingdom of righteousness and light, the kingdom of God. But he doesn't want to do that through your behavior, but through something God has offered to you through Christ. So in Romans, he spells it out for us, he goes, therefore... Since we, and we right here, just so you know, isn't about a you and me we. This is a different we. It's a we that's a bunch of first century Christians living in Rome. And Paul doesn't even know all of them. Paul is writing a letter to some friends who are going to share it with a larger group of people that Paul has never met. He doesn't know them. But he says, Here's what I know about you anyway. Here's what I know about us anyway. This is not about changing a behavior. This is about being born again into the kingdom of God. It's not going to be based on decisions that you make other than, except for allowing God to birth you into his new kingdom. You did not behave your way into your original nation of sin. And you do not behave your way into the new kingdom of God. It's not about your behavior. Therefore, since we have been justified, which means declared just. It's not about actions and it's not about our feelings. You know what? Because honestly, I don't really feel all that justified today. I just feel kind of normal it is by definition a declaration by God, justified. God looks at you just as if you had never sinned. We have been justified through faith, and now we have peace with God. How did I get peace with God? Because God declared you just through our Really good works through, through our trying harder and harder. No, it's nothing like that. That's why Paul can write to these people, strangers, people he doesn't know. When he doesn't know what they do. He doesn't know how they live. He doesn't know how they behave. And he can say, we, and now this we can include us In the we, we be part of the we, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access. And Paul lets us in on this really big secret, and it's so hard to believe, but it's even harder to live as if it's true. Paul tells us that the first step towards peace with God has nothing to do with your behavior. The first step to peace with God is to be reborn into a new nation, leaving the kingdom of darkness, leaving the kingdom of sin, being accepted in the kingdom of God's beloved son. We can summarize all that with one really helpful, simple statement. Peace with God begins with faith in Christ. Peace with God doesn't begin with you doing something to make yourself better. Because even if today we all sat down and we learned how to speak Polish, it would not make you Polish. (coughs) Acting righteous doesn't make you righteous. Your heavenly Father has accepted you into the kingdom of righteousness. We get there. By placing our faith, right, our confidence, our trust in that spot across the chasm, we put our trust in what God has done for us through Christ His Son. Peace with God begins with faith in Christ. So, remember at the beginning we said there was a conflict, right? We have conflict. Conflict with sin and then with your sin, all right? So, we just talked about sin, That's where we were born, being born in the wrong nation. Then we talked about what God has done to remove that obstacle, to to bridge the abyss so that we can move to the other kingdom. Now we're going to move on to the next conflict, your sin, your specific behaviors. The best way to understand our conflict with God here is to think about your family, the one that you grew up with, okay, where you were a child. And as a child, um, at some point along the way, (laughs) at some point along the way you were not at peace with your parents maybe it only happened once or twice yeah right but think back right think way way back maybe think all the way back to this morning or maybe even farther back than that consider a time when you were not at peace with your parents Let me help you out with this. If you can't find a time, think about, I don't know, the ages between 12 and 19, all right? There's very little peace. It's just one rolling conflict that just keeps coming. Now, if you grew up with a loving mom or a loving dad or a loving set of parents, they would say no to you, and they would make you mad. We all did this. You as a child would think, my problem is my parents. They just won't let me do what I want to do. Anybody ever felt like that? Yeah? Come on, let's have an amen, right? (laughs) Of course the problem is my parents, right? If my parents would just say yes instead of no, then we could all have peace. It would have been so easy for us to have peace if my parents would just say yes to me. Then your parents, they're thinking, if I say yes, we will have peace now. But you will have problems later. So I've got to decide, am I willing to sacrifice peace now because I love you and I want the best for you? Or do I want to have peace now and then say, hey, buddy, you're You're on your own, man. Don't come crawling back to me when you finish reaping and sowing, all right? You did this on your own. You're bad. This is your fault. The most difficult thing for me as a parent, the most difficult thing for me as a father are the times that I had to walk into one of my kids' rooms and have a conversation with one or two of my kids or maybe three. And the words that I know, the words that are going to come out of my mouth We're going to destroy the peace between me and one or all of my kids. And I had the power. And when I walked in, I could have said, no, no, curfew? Don't even know what the word means. Just come in whenever or whatever. Those friends that you have chosen, they must be all right if you chose them. Sure, invite them all over and I'll go out. Of course you don't need to clean up. Let me do it for you. I just want peace. And whether you are a parent or not, I bet that you have been in a situation where you have had to think this through. Do I do what's best for them or do I do what's easiest for me? and you have a heavenly father, just like some of your parents were, their love was too strong to simply go along. God's love is too strong to simply go along. Just like a good parent, every once in a while he dings your conscience. And every once in a while he he surfaces the tension that you can feel inside between your happiness and your disobedience. And then he helps you to connect the dots. The reason you're unhappy is because you're disobedient. And you want to have peace with God. You want everything to be fine with God. Yet your conscience is just bothering you. You could just feel the tension and no one around you senses it, but you know it. It's all for you. And the reason there is tension is because God loves you. And he loves you too much to say yes to something that's going to hurt you. Because he is a good father. And Jesus said the best way to view God, the best way to think about God is to imagine him, to think about him as a perfect heavenly father. Now, we all know that God is not a man, all right? So don't get distracted by all the male stuff that kind of floats around out there. God is completely other, all right? He's unlike anything that you will ever come into direct contact with. <clears throat> but for those of us who are bookended by birth and by death, this is the closest that you are ever gonna get to, uh, to understanding God. God has accommodated to our capacity. Good, kid, good good parents don't lie to their kids, right? But parents know that they have to accommodate an answer to that child. So think of a question, the favorite question that every parent longs for their child to say. When this question arises, where do babies come from? And the answer that you give depends on the age and the maturity of the child. We don't lie. Instead, we try to give an appropriate amount of truth so that it might be understood. So imagine God who created like 600 different kinds of beetles trying to explain all of himself to us. So Jesus says, imagine God like this. Imagine God as a perfect heavenly father who occasionally says, no. And you can't change my mind because I love you too much to say yes to something that is going to hurt you. And yes, I do realize that you're going to turn your back on me. I realize that you're going to cross your arms and roll your eyes and stamp your foot and wreck our peace. But like a good heavenly father, I will not turn my back on you. And I will not cross my arms at you. Because the moment you turn around, we will have peace. And I want peace with you. Think of the price I had to pay to have peace with you. I sent my son to die for your sins before you were even born. I allowed you to receive my son as savior, knowing that you would continue to act like you were in this kingdom of darkness. And I will never throw you out. And John, John who spent years watching and working with Jesus, John who knew Jesus so well, he's been writing about what he knows about Jesus and what it's like to live in this world and what that whole experience is like. And John writes this about us not having peace with God even though we're in the kingdom of light. He addresses what it's like to be a Christian and yet out of sync with the heavenly Father. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, he says, if we claim to have fellowship... And now, Fellowship, right? It's not a word that we use a lot. Granted, it's sort of been uh, churchified. It's, uh, it only gets used in churchy kind of ways. But it really means peace. When we are in sync, we are having fellowship. So if we claim to have fellowship with Him, that's God, and yet walk in the darkness, that is, act like we are living in the kingdom of darkness. Doing whatever we want. Forgetting about what God wants. We lie. If you are pretending that you and God are cool and you are living in disobedience to God, then you are a liar. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to the people around you. And you are lying to God. And God wants you To be in fellowship with Him. Because you can't have peace with God. You can't have fellowship with God and ignore what God says. And then to do not live out the truth. We have to live it out. It can't live in our minds. We need to put it into practice. It must be in our hands and our feet. We need to obey. We need to apply what we have learned and not comment on what we learn. Not like and share what we have learned, but to apply it. Don't kid yourself, okay? You, you, you come to church and you, you know the songs and you, you come here regularly and you, maybe you give money and you've got a nice Bible and you've got you version on your phone and you are knocking off reading plans all the time. These are good things. But if you know in your heart that God wants A and you just don't do it, Or if you know in your heart that God wants B and you say, man, I just don't have time for that. Or if you know in your heart that God wants C and you say, that's frankly kind of embarrassing. If you know in your heart that there is a tension between you and your heavenly father, John says, come on, I walked and I talked with Jesus. I was right there. I was with him. I saw what it was like. Don't kid yourself. You are not in fellowship with God. You're wasting your time. There is not peace with God. And and the problem isn't God's. It's yours. And your heavenly father says, come on. I want there to be peace. but But I love you too much to just say, yeah, whatever. I want there to be trust. Come on. Trust me, I know where that path leads. Come on, trust me, I can see farther than you can see. Trust me, I have so much more waiting for you than you know. Trust me, I want the best for you. Trust me, I want to bring about healing. Trust me. This is really about the faith to really live, belong, believe, be bold, trust me. I will be with you the whole time. John's old now, really old, so he doesn't care. He just dives deep here and he goes for it. I don't even care if you like me. He says, whoever claims to love God. Whoever claims to be at peace with God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. And there he goes off on that whole lying thing again. Why is he such a name caller? Why does he use that word? Because you are. You are a liar. You do not have peace with God. You don't have peace with God when you're out of sync with someone that you could be in sync with. You cannot have peace with God who has forgiven you if you refuse to forgive. You cannot be at peace with God if you've turned your back on someone. You need to turn back around and work those things out. Just like God worked hard to get things in sync with you. For whoever does not love their brother or the sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. You cannot hate or hurt others and have peace with God. You cannot hate or hurt others and have peace with others. You cannot hate and hurt others and have peace with yourself. You cannot hate and hurt others and be happy. Peace with God begins with faith in Christ. Faith in Christ looks like this. I need something in this chasm to rest all of my trust on in order to get me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heaven. And God says, I want you to place all of the weight of your trust on what Christ has done for you to gain access into the kingdom of heaven. That is how you are born again. And for some of you, that's never happened. You have never done that. We can help you with that. But for many of us, we have done that. Some of us have done it multiple times just to make Sure. Your faith is fine. Now it's on to your obedience. And you are wreaking havoc with your own future, with your own family, with your own relationships, with your your own job, with your own peace, with your own happiness. I want you to be at peace with God. Peace with God is sustained by submission to Christ. It's to waking up every day and saying, yes, I will trust you. Yes, I will listen for you. Yes, I will go where you tell me to go. Yes, I will, I will say what you call me to say. Yes, I will obey even when I'm scared and that's gonna cost me. But if that's what you want, then that's what I'm gonna do. After all, who am I to wreck the peace that I have been offered by God who has invited me to call him Father? So, two quick questions Have you made peace with God? And if you are a Christian, are you at peace? With God, Have you made peace with God and or are you at peace with God? For some of you, well, you haven't been looking for God in a, in a long time. But he is consistent in his looking for you. He hasn't turned his back on you. He is waiting for you. God wants fellowship. He wants to be in sync with you. He wants you to have a clear conscience. He wants you to deal with your guilt and and with your shame and and to leave it behind and to move on. He wants you to be able to come to church and not worry about who might be here. He wants you to be at peace with Him. That is what He is inviting you into. So, why would you refuse God's offer of peace. Think about that. What is worth refusing God's offer of peace? What is keeping you from peace with God right now? Remember that your peace with God impacts your peace with others, which impacts your peace with yourself, and that ultimately your lack of peace Guarantees a lack of happiness. Please, make peace with God. Kind Father, thank you for the gift of being able to call you Father and to relate to you in that way. And we, as we read earlier, that we could boldly walk into your room and uh, speak with you and, and to tell you, this is what's hard for me. This is what I don't know how to do. This is, this is what I feel scared about. This is where I feel nervous. This is where I feel incompetent. I've, I've failed before and I'm afraid I'm going to fail again. And You say we can walk right in and share all of that with you. We didn't surprise you with that information, but we are allowed to tell you where it hurts. We are allowed to tell you why it's hard. And in that place, you've promised us again that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. You will be with us throughout the entire ordeal, the entire process of trying to deal with the things that we have to deal with. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move this morning and speak to us words of peace, words of freedom, words of hope. Meet us where we are right this moment, but then Show us where we might be. Show us the next step that we might be able to take so that we could move into peace with you the first time or we can move back into peace with you if we are out right now. God, I pray that you would bring us into sync and that you would cause us to see the freedom that our life can have when we can get this alignment correctly. Peace with you allows for the possibility of happiness. Peace broken with you guarantees us unhappiness. Thanks for being the prince of peace. Guide me forward into what I need to do now. And then give me the courage to actually do something about it and not simply walk away and say, another Sunday, check. I'm tired of wasting time, in not actually getting somewhere. Speak to my friends this morning, God, I pray. And then speak through them later on as they become voices for you wherever they go. Thanks, in Jesus' name, amen. He has called you his kids because he wants you not in us. He wants a you. Child of the living God, go forth from here. Blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Don't argue with God today. If He's speaking, and listen, and then respond. Don't, don't just walk away. Sometimes those moments are special for you. Don't waste them. But as you go, know that uh, this wasn't just for you because you are being sent. And as you go, remember that wherever you go, we are Christ-centered and we are spirit-empowered and we are mission-focused, the mission for everyone, everywhere, all the time. Go be the church somewhere good. It's better when you're here It's better when we're together, and I'm glad that we were able to share this time together today.